Hello, I'm Sarah Kopalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, why do Brazilians want to impeach their president, Jair Bolsonaro? For weeks now, thousands of protesters have been taking to the streets of Brazil, demanding that their country's far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, step down for his extremely poor handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Demonstrators say they are exhausted, frustrated and angry at a president who not only played down the severity of the virus, but is now also facing allegations of political corruption relating to vaccine procurement. I am here against this government that I consider genocidal, responsible for not purchasing vaccines, and many people died for a lack of vaccines that the government did not buy. To date, more than half a million Brazilians have lost their lives to the virus. A recent poll found that most Brazilians now support Bolsonaro's impeachment. So who is this divisive Brazilian leader and how has he managed to stay in power since his election three years ago? And when he does finally leave office, what kind of country will he leave behind? Tom Hennigan is the Irish Times South America correspondent and he's been reporting throughout the pandemic on the political chaos unfolding in Brazil. Tom, People in Brazil have been calling for their president to step down for a while now, and they're demanding also that more vaccines be made available. Why has this public anger spilled out onto the streets now? There are two factors that have caused the protests to go from sort of online out onto the streets. One is that there is a sense of desperation that this is still ongoing here and increasing amounts of evidence that it wasn't just incompetence and mishandling of what was going on, but that there was actually corruption in the administration in how to particularly handle the vaccination programme. And then there has been a easing off of the number of deaths and the number of infections coming out of a, of a brutal wave from earlier this year. And the vaccination program across the country is slowly making progress. So there has been a certain, I wouldn't say confidence, but a, a mix of anger about what has happened and a sense that now it is not as bad as it was a few months ago. So people are willing to come out in large protests together. So Tom, let's talk about the leader of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, for a minute. We often hear him mentioned in a lineup of some other somewhat unsavoury world leaders like Trump, Putin, uh, Duterte. And I'd like to know why he got into power in the first place. And what kind of president is he? He got into power because of a crisis in Brazil's political system, which was really roiling the country since 2013, when protests broke out against the organisation of the World Cup and the Olympic Games in Brazil. Strikes and marches aimed at a government that people say has spent way too much money on a sporting event and not enough on everything from salaries to hospitals. And that intersected with a corruption scandal 
that was viewed across the world in many ways as involving the ruling left-wing Workers' Party, which led to the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff. But that scandal affected all parties of the governing coalition and the opposition, the traditional opposition. And it led to widespread anger with the political system at a time that the commodity boom ended and Brazil plunged into a severe recession. So by the time the election of 2018 came along, there was a a sense of a real need amongst a huge amount of the population to kick out the traditional political class. What happened was Bolsonaro was very skillful at positioning himself as the anti-politics in Brazil and as someone who was going to come in as a new broom and clean up the country's political system. And it was the failure of, I think, two things. One, the traditional political class to respond to the demand for change by admitting its errors and making reforms within its own parties and trying to present a new face and also of any other new force to emerge with the level that Bolsonaro was able to do. There were other outsiders who entered the race in 2018, but none of them were able to kind of capture the mood as well as Bolsonaro. So that propelled him into power. His supporters say he's the man Brazil needs. It's a person that uh, likes the poor people. He's a very simple guy. He likes uh, everybody. And the kind of president he is, he has been none of the things he promised he would be. I think the, the one thing everyone would agree on now, he's chaotic in power, he's incompetent, he doesn't know how to operate the political system. His idea of being a new broom sweeping out corruption from the political system has also been exposed as a lie. He and his family have been shown to be corrupt themselves. He was a, a kind of a very marginal backbench congressman for 30 years and And the only thing he seems to have achieved in that time is to feather his family's nest. And because there has been um, this increasing evidence of his own family's corruption, he has turned to authoritarianism to try and cover that up, to stop investigations into his family. And so part of that is he's always admired dictatorships. He's a big fan of the uh, Pinochet dictatorship in in Chile, which was a a very bloody right-wing military dictatorship. He, as a former soldier himself, he's also never lost an opportunity to praise Brazil's last military dictatorship. But I always think there's a question that, you know, is he really devoted to a kind of anti-democratic system because he doesn't believe in democracy? Or is it because he needs to exert a personal authority over institutions to stop them investigating his own family's crimes? So I think they're the, the kind of three things. He's incompetent, he's corrupt, and he's authoritarian. The latest figures show that 550,000 people have now died from COVID-19 in Brazil, which is just an incredible number of human lives. And a leading Brazilian epidemiologist recently said that his country had been, and I quote, a laboratory for everything that could be done wrong in a pandemic. When did Brazil start making big mistakes during this pandemic and how did it spiral out of control? 
The mistake started from the very beginning and they started at the top with President Bolsonaro. He straight away said that there was a choice to be made between confronting the pandemic or saving the economy and that if the economy tanked because of the measures required to confront the pandemic, that would be the end of his administration. So he very openly made clear that he was going to preserve the economy rather than confront the pandemic. He then moved to try confront the state governors as city mayors who had to go to the Supreme Court for the right to take the measures in their own areas to prevent the pandemic. So I think that has been a major problem when you talk with public health experts. They say it's, it's the uncoordinated nature of Brazil's response, which has been so crippling. We have to remember that the numbers are very bad in Brazil. They would have been worse if it hadn't been for the action of the state governors and the big city mayors in most of the country who were much more responsible. So it's not as if um, Brazil has not been taking measures. There have been two full lockdowns in Sao Paulo, where I am. You know, Rio has also had lockdowns all around the country. Most areas have at one stage or another gone into lockdowns. President Bolsonaro has always raged and even gone to court to try and have those lockdowns reversed, but he has failed. The courts have always sided with governors and mayors in in keeping um in, in keeping lockdowns in place when um, they have been decreed. But uh, in a wider context, I think Brazil has had a very bad pandemic, but uh, there's a deeper question about what has gone wrong in Latin America. So you have other countries that had a very different response. Their governments uh, were much more proactive than than Bolsonaro, and they've had similar levels of mortality. So there seems to have been something about the nature of Latin American societies and state capacity that has made the pandemic particularly devastating in this region. And some of the most vulnerable people in Brazilian society have lost their lives during this pandemic, including pregnant women. And this year alone, more than 1,000 pregnant women have died from the virus. The death rate for pregnant women in Brazil was already poor. It's 55 per 100,000 women. But experts here say that with COVID, the new number could double to over 100 per 100,000. Right now, 42 pregnant women every week die of COVID. We haven't seen this in most other countries. So why is it happening in Brazil? It's it's a question that's still being studied. I think one of the clear factors is that the particularly the public health system here has um, at various points been overwhelmed by the pandemic. And so you have a large number of people being infected, putting huge pressure at various times on the health system. Then you have shortage of intensive care units, a lack of the necessary drugs. And when you look at the numbers of pregnant women dying, it seems to be much more centred in the public health system than in the private health system. And that would indicate it's it's, um, not necessarily something particular about the virus in Brazil, but just lack of resources within the health system. So you you also see that people with uh, pre-existing conditions have been very affected. The more reliant they are on the public sector, the more vulnerable they are. So the the issue with pregnant women, with children as well, is partly because of just how much Brazil has been impacted by the crisis. But then you see 
that death rates for people who have been infected and brought into hospitals are much higher if they've gone into a public hospital compared to a private hospital. And I think that's more than likely the the root of the of um, the explanation for why you're having these tragic cases. Yeah, and you mentioned children there. I mean, there's some really distressing reports and videos online on the number of young children, children under the age of 10, who are dying from this virus. So is it safe to say that most of them would be relying on the public system and thus maybe not getting the care that they need? Yes, I, w- I, would, I would say that will come out eventually as the, the major factor. Brazil um, has, you know, public-private split. Even in non-pandemic times, outcomes when you're in the public sector, which has improved massively since democracy was restored in in the 80s, and one of the one of the great advances um, made in Brazil with the restoration of democracy was the creation of a universal public health system. But it is underfunded, and the outcomes in it are are much worse than in the private sector. You do you already see that most of these tragic cases are linked to people who are reliant on the public system, and you know that's where the greatest levels of stress during the pandemic um, have been felt. Bringing it back to Bolsonaro, he said last year that the COVID-19 vaccines were not safe and he's consistently played down the severity of the virus. He described COVID-19 as a little flu. And he even went so far as to joking that the Pfizer jab could turn people into crocodiles. I mean, even though that is a joke, how dangerous are these comments? They are dangerous and there has been data showing that in regions that voted more strongly for Bolsonaro, there there was initially uh, less take up of vaccines than in areas that uh, voted against him. So it does seem to have had a, a material impact on the ground. It really was kind of shockingly irresponsible because even within his own administration, there were efforts to try and stem the damage that was caused by his initial response to the, you know, laissez-faire response to the pandemic by focusing on vaccines and uh, seeing vaccines as a way of getting, you know, people protected and therefore being able to reopen the country and the economy and essentially save his administration. And so he did have people within his own government working to promote vaccines and there was their um, commander in chief working against them. And you had a situation where the health minister, who was a, a serving general in the military appointed by Bolsonaro, he actually was um, announcing orders of vaccines, tens of millions of doses at the end of last year. And then he had to row back because Bolsonaro came out and said, no, under me, we won't be doing that. He was claiming that vaccines were dangerous, that they were unproven. Uh, He also had other outlandish statements that Brazilians were more resilient to disease at the best of times. He was talking about, you know, you could go into slums and see young children jumping into polluted streams with sewage and nothing happened to them. It was um, a full on campaign to try and undermine vaccinations. And so it wasn't just that he was throwing doubt on their safety. He was actually materially intervening in his own government's efforts to buy vaccines and um, cancelling orders that were being made. It was it was extraordinary. Coming up, what will Brazil look like after Bolsonaro leaves office? Tom, 
What about Bolsonaro's popularity? I mean, that has dropped a lot in the last few years, right? That's why these protests are taking place. I am here claiming the right of all Brazilians, the right to democracy without fascism and Bolsonaro out. Nobody can stand this genocide in the country anymore. Recent polls showed most Brazilians support his impeachment. So why is he still in power? I think, number one, because the protests haven't reached the size that the politicians in Brasilia who are protecting him would feel it's the moment to abandon him. So while the protests have started, they're nothing like the size of the protests that preceded the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff. So the political class are aware that there is anger, but it hasn't reached a level yet that they have to take note of. So that's one thing. The other is that he has cut a deal with elements within the Congress. And these are parties that basically are guns for hire. They tend to gravitate towards whoever is in the presidency and sell their votes in Congress to the administration in return for control over parts of the federal machine, which they then populate with their their own party apparatchiks. And they then start operating the corruption schemes that are always going on within Brazil and which so frustrate Brazilians. And what they do in return for that is they protect Bolsonaro from impeachment. So you need two thirds of Congress to impeach a president. And Bolsonaro, by making this deal with these parties, has essentially bought a blocking minority in the Congress to prevent that happening. So there's, at last count, I saw 121 impeachment requests filed with Congress. The evidence for his crimes is overwhelming. The vast majority of, I I think, serious Brazilian jurists have no doubt that he has committed crimes that rise to the level of impeachment. But impeachment in Brazil is fundamentally a political question and not a legal question. Dilma Rousseff was essentially impeached because she was politically inept. We have some breaking news from Brazil where the Senate there has voted to impeach President Dilma Rousseff because of an accounting scandal. And Bolsonaro, while he is very politically inept, I think he's looked at Dilma and realized what really happened to her was she lost the support of the Congress. And he was a congressman in the Congress that voted to impeach her. So he he was up close, front row seat for what was happening back in 2016 when she was voted out. And he's been cunning enough, I think, to basically sell off the federal government in return for enough support in the Congress to prevent the same thing happening to him. And there is a public inquiry going on in Brazil right now into how Bolsonaro and his government handled the pandemic. Tom, what has it found so far and what impact will its findings have? The main findings they have so far is that while Bolsonaro was throwing doubt over vaccines being safe and cancelling orders for particularly the Chinese uh, Coronavac vaccine, which was being developed in Brazil by a state governor who's um, a major critic um, of the president. The health ministry was working overtime to try and source vaccines from other manufacturers abroad. And a lot of the evidence that the congressional inquiry has thrown up seems to indicate that they were doing this while asking for bribes. They were looking essentially to make hundreds of millions of dollars off these vaccine purchases. So the the main impact of the congressional inquiry right now is 
to show that Bolsonaro, again, it's more evidence that his anti-corruption spiel that helped get him elected in 2018 was a farce. It's one thing just to be a kind of alt-fax anti-vaxxer, but it's another to be head of an administration that is actually trying to buy vaccines, but part of the, the, the delay in the process seems to be because you're negotiating bribes from suppliers. And Bolsonaro knows there are presidential elections coming up next year. Do we think Bolsonaro will even make it that far? On balance at the moment, I think he will make it to elections next year. And that's not because he doesn't deserve to be impeached, but I think it's the timing. The timetable for impeaching a president is quite onerous. So I think it was nine months from start to finish before Dilma Rousseff was uh, removed from office. Elections are due in October of next year. So I think the political class, even those who are very opposed to Bolsonaro, are more focused on, and this is a phrase you actually hear, bleeding him out politically so that he reaches the elections weakened rather than actually trying to impeach him. So I think he will dispute the elections his own team seems to believe that this alliance he has with um, these parties in Congress will help him enter those competitively and that they hope that with the increasing rollout of vaccines here, that there will be an economic upturn. There has been a spike in commodity prices, which always is a, is a positive for Brazil's economic performance. So they are hoping that the chaos political chaos that has been induced by the pandemic will have receded by the time he is in full campaign mode next year. That said, it's a huge it's a huge mountain for him to climb because his rejection ratings are um, about 50%. Of, as you were saying earlier, a majority now want him impeached, even though that's unlikely to happen. There are 15 million unemployed. Inflation is, is racing ahead. You know, it, it is very difficult at the moment to see how he would be able to turn around all the negatives that face him. So I think he will make it, but he goes in as the underdog. And when Bolsonaro finally does leave office, whether it's through impeachment or elections, what kind of Brazil is he going to leave behind? I mean, what state will the country be in? It will be worse on a whole number of levels. He will leave behind the disaster of the pandemic the adjacent social impact in terms of unemployment, the rise in poverty and inequality as a result of that. He will leave behind a country that he came in promising to renew, I think, and this is perhaps the worst impact, even deeper in the mess that he found it in. So instead of cleaning up corruption, he has continued it. And there's a certain cynicism that comes with that. You know, where, where do you go now that the, that the one person who said, I'm going to come in and, you know, renovate our political system has actually ended up relying on some of the worst elements, the most corrupt elements in it to survive. And then there's also the f open flirtation with authoritarianism of the, the last three years. Bolsonaro himself has been too incompetent, really, to advance his own authoritarian ambitions, whether because, as I was saying, he's an anti-democrat or because he needs to protect his family from, from other institutions. But he's failed in that. But he has 
I think, shown that there is a weakness in Brazil's institutions to push back against it. Uh, I think if Brazil's institutions were stronger, they would have removed him by now because he is someone who does not respect the rules of Brazil's democratic um, settlement and has sought to undermine them openly. And while there has been pushback, really what was needed was, a, I think, a much firmer line up to removing him from office. And that has not happened. So I think the major risk is he has shown that there is a path for a perhaps a more sophisticated political operator to follow an anti-authoritarian path to follow. And by failing to clean up and reform the very deep structural problems in Brazil's political system, he has left those festering. And one of the issues is is that really no new force emerged during his time in power. And more than likely, if he does lose the elections, it will be at the hands of the old political establishment coming back. And while they are on numerous levels, infinitely better, more democratic, less authoritarian than Bolsonaro. They are also the people who drove the country into the mess that led to Bolsonaro in the first place. So it's uh, Brazil just, rather than Bolsonaro promised to lead them out of their, of their labyrinth, and he just seems to have dragged them deeper in. Tom, thanks so much for your time. That's all for today. You can follow all of Tom Hennigan's reporting from South America on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Friday. <laughs>